July 10th, 2020. This is episode nine of the Soybean Pest Podcast. Across from me in virtual space is Aaron Hodson. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Matt. And I'm Matt O'Neill. And let's do it. Okay. We're doing it, I think. You press record. Oh, yes, I am recording. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Um, do we have a lot to talk about today? Um, well, I think I have uh, some updates from when we last visited our last podcast. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's get okay. it on. Let's make it happen. Okay. Ooh, come on. Um, I think that soybean aphids are kind of holding steady in uh, some of the plots that we visit every week. But I did hear about some soybean aphids showing up south of I-80, which is not oh. not totally surprising, but maybe that doesn't happen every year. Uncommon. Yeah. And so they just have noted them. They're not out of control or anything, but uh, something to note that, you know, if you're looking, maybe you'll find aphids this year in soybean. So what are you seeing in terms of the numbers at the, your very large, very numerous research plots? <laughs> That's a sick burn, Matt. Um, well, because I think, I think it's fair to say that people who are scouting a lot of fields, commercial fields this year have noted that beans are short, shorter than normal for this time of year. And in a lot of fields, they're flowering, of course, but the canopy hasn't closed. And so you have these gaps between plants that you may not normally have in July. And so what we're seeing, and I think I would have to ask the people that are sampling those, those large bulk fields, we see individual plants that have those foundational colonies, but they haven't exactly moved within or between rows like we would expect them to do during July. And I think it's because the plants aren't touching. Yeah. So any kind of colonization within a field is going to be by aphids that are walking, right? We're not expecting a lot of flight from plant to plant. Yeah. Especially so, not in July. Yeah. And so without a canopy that's closed, we don't expect to see a lot of movement within plants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like Ibayer, I think he said he found like 80 aphids on a plant, but then he samples for another hour and doesn't find another infested plant. And so that was that was sort of the, the trend that you would see individual plants with these kind of foundational colonies, but they're sticking to the plants or, you know, with their neighboring plant because um, they're just too lazy, too too wimpy to move across rows right now. Well, it's a, it's a hard life being an aphid when all you feed on is the phloem. You got to... Spend a lot of time sucking. And it grow. sucks when you're dehydrated, right, Matt? Oh, tell me about it. Hey, look, I don't like to talk about myself. You know me, very introverted, kind of shy guy. I don't want to talk about how I had heat stress and I confused it for a possible COVID-19 infection. Let's not talk about that right now. Okay. Let's just stay okay. focused on okay. what, so the people, I, what the people came for, which is the insect. came dogs. for also um, just an expansion of what I was talking about last time where, where some caterpillars were seen in soybean. So green cloverworm is continuing. And in some cases, that's the, like the primary thing that people are finding if they're looking for pests. But then also alfalfa caterpillar. And um, not very Hold common. On. What? Hold what? on. Alfalfa caterpillar in soybeans. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure I heard that right. I don't, yeah, I don't they know have if I like know, the, the they're like velvet. They almost look like a velvety suede body. Oh, and they've got kind of like a light white pinky stripe down the side with four pro legs. So I think their bodies look cool because they almost kind of look like not microfiber, but kind of like a suede. 
Nice. Oh. And then like green clover worms would be more like the smooth skin. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have the three three pro legs. But then um, we're also seeing, which I have very rarely seen, uh, is common stock borer in soybean this year. And they can be confused for maybe other stem boring pests like Dectes, which I have not ever seen in Iowa. Um, but they could have some of that similar visual symptoms from the outside of the plant. Common, common stock borer is really interesting because um, it, it has that like sort of purple segment, right? It's almost like- I call it a saddle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A uh, big kind of long stretch of the um, the body, the caterpillar that's purple, sort of got a uh, greenish uh, on either end. Um, and yeah, as a stock borer, it, it bores into everything, corn, uh, potatoes, anything with a stock. And guess what? Cannabis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A cannabis farmer uh, sent me some pictures of some stock bore damage to their plants. And mm-hmm. it sounds like we're having a, a little bit of a outbreak across Iowa. If two locations <laughs> make two locations. it an outbreak. Well, it's just, I, like I said, I don't normally see it in soybean. And so that has showed up at the, at some of our research plots and also some commercial fields. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I also have heard about them in hops, which, you know, it's kind of a close relative of hemp. So um, I think, like you said, they're kind of looking for a bigger house right now from their overwintering like brome or grass um, house. <laughs> and they're moving to, to try and find a bigger stem. So they aren't really considered important after V7 and corn, but they can, they can kill soybean and, and perhaps um, hops or hemp as well. Yeah, I did a little bit of reading on them, and um, my understanding is they're univoltine in this part of the right. world, and so right. once the stock boring life stage, the caterpillar stage is done, um, the moths are going to, the adult moths are going to mate and lay eggs, and that's going to be it. But that damage, um, it, well, let me step back a second. When that damage is being done by the caterpillar, it's very hard to manage uh, because the insecticides have to penetrate into the plant. And, um, you know, by the time the caterpillar gets to the, you know, its full size, uh, there's, there's no point in spraying an insecticide. You're not going to get any protection beyond the satisfaction of maybe killing the adults, which may or may not cause you problems next year. Yeah, it's a pest that overwinters in Iowa, and um, because of where the females like to lay eggs, it's usually on grassy borders. Hmm. Typically, fields that are infested are reinfested year after year after year. So, um, my recommendation would be to keep those edges, those weedy or grassy borders, mowed down, especially in the fall, so that there's no place to lay their eggs, or the eggs won't survive. And then. Um, also, if you have you had problems in the past or you're having problems this year, I encourage people to get in the loop with ICM News because every year I put out a estimated degree day map for when they're moving from grass oh, or nice. like Rome to, mm-hmm. to, it's usually corn is what we think of, but this year in particular just hit a number of other pests. So if that's a concern to you, ICM News is going to give you an update because that is really the only time, like you said, to do something because once they enter or bore into a new stem, there's, there isn't a systemic product that will make contact. All right. Anything else? 
Oh yeah, I'm just getting warmed up, man. Oh geez, this is like this is like prime time field crop extension season. So I've got to turn my five, ten, fifteen field days into these podcasts. So also something that we see every year migrates here every year. And um, if you're looking, you're obviously going to see it as potato leaf hopper. But for some reason this year, they have become a real problem in not only soybean but also alfalfa. And I think with the next two weeks, especially uh, being hot and dry in Iowa and even some parts of the state entering official drought in the drought monitor, uh, I think especially alfalfa is going to look really stressed uh, on top of that when you have potato leaf hopper feeding. So the uh, forage quality is going to go quite a bit down in some of those areas. So let's talk a little bit about that drought situation. I noticed that on the University of Nebraska drought monitor that for last week, we were abnormally dry um, down in the southwest corner yep. of Iowa with a kind of a diagonal band going up into look like central Iowa. Yeah. And yep. uh, that was last week. So this week, uh, we had some rain across the state, but my impression was it was a little bit disappointing, not as much as predicted. And when it did right. rain, it was, it was fairly light. We've got some rain predicted uh, into this weekend and then late next week. It's fair to say things have been kind of dry. Uh, yeah, that, and it's a really critical growth stage for corn right now as they're starting to silk. So they have super hot, dry weather. Um, you have stress on the plant, but then you might have additional insect or even disease pressure in some cases. It, um, it's a really stressful time for those corn plants. Um. Another thing about dry conditions like this, uh, these are conditions that are conducive for spider mite outbreaks. Yeah, definitely. Have you, have you had any reports or concerns? I, yeah, I've had a few. There's a few faithful craft consultants around Iowa that always kind of give me a heads up on what they're seeing. And a few of them have noticed spider mites on field borders. And so this would be typical every year, I think, if you're looking at field edges especially if the grassy edges get mowed or burned down, the mites are gonna move into field edges and then can eventually move into the field interior. So I have had a few people give me a heads up that they're starting to see those um, mites move into fields and some of those initial symptoms of discoloration, sort of the webbed uh, kind Ooh. of dirty appearance that they leave. Um, okay. It starts small and it usually yeah. Yeah. kind of starts in the upper canopy but then if it gets into the lower canopy, then they really start to balloon into the field interior. Yeah, this is a real problem. I think every year uh, around this time when it gets, if it gets dry, we talk about the challenge that is spider mite management. Yeah. Would really encourage people if you're out scouting to keep a look for the, keep a lookout for this, especially on field edges, as you mentioned. Maybe we can spend some time next week talking about the challenges of managing it. It, it, yeah, and how to scout for it because not everybody has uh, fresh eyeballs and can yeah. see mites moving in the field. So you might need either a hand lens or some youthful eyes to help you out. And more? Is there more? Well, that's that's sort of the highlights that I wanted to talk about in soybean. <clears throat> other than for those folks that are on the western side of the state, we've started to see some um, plant death and plant injury from soybean gallmage. And Mitchell, my graduate student, has already started to collect first-generation adults in soybeans. So they're going to be, again, looking to find fresh foliage 
uh, to lay their eggs. So they're going to be moving from the edges to the field interior. So for those on the west, they should be scouting field edges and maybe even more inside. And unlike common stock borer or Japanese beetle that only have one generation, gall midges have multiple, we think? We think three, three overlapping generations a year. Yeah. So, oh. and this summer is just backing up what we saw last summer is that it's basically continuous adult emergence. Um, so you don't have distinct peaks between generations. And then, so you have constant egg and larval um, development. Is it worth calling in a insecticide spray if you start to see these? I mean, it's sort of the same issue with common stock borer. It's really hard to target the eggs and the larvae because they're feeding on the inside. So um, myself and a few others in Minnesota, South Dakota, shout out to Adam Barrenhorse, alum from our lab. Hey, Jerry. And- <laughs> Sunshine Bear. <laughs> Sunshine Bear. And then um, a few... A few folks at Nebraska, Tom Hunt, Robert, Bob Wright, and Justin McMechan. Um, we're doing all kinds of things. Um, seed treatments, soil applied insecticides, and foliar treatments. All different timings. We have some different chemistries. Uh, right now, it's been very challenging. I'm not sure we're going to make a lot of progress this year, honestly, because the timing is everything, and we haven't quite got it fine-tuned yet. But you're going to have some good information in the fall and winter, right? Because these so. numbers uh, that you're seeing in the field will allow you to get some data about what products work, what combinations work, if any. Yeah, yeah, we're having good pressure, so that's good. We're putting these these products to the test, and we hope that there are a few products that are just a bit more effective in the either larval suppression or just the yield losses that can occur. Mm-hmm. Larvae, we're hoping to find a few uh, products that rise to the top. All right. Anything else before we? Uh, a couple things. Oh, so yeah, more. Good. Yes. About the other crop that we grow in Iowa corn. Um, as I mentioned earlier, silks are coming out and so are rootworms. So the adults are coming out. It's going to be hot and dry. I worry about pollination period because the tests of the silks are going to be um, vulnerable to those hot conditions with feeding on top of it. So that brings you back to your grad school days. Uh, doesn't matter with looking for rootworms. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Japanese beetle also can target silks, so they're really attracted to that uh, growth period as well. And then if you happen to be uh, a person that planted late, uh, planted corn late, um, I would scout those fields, especially during the soaking period for corn earworm. So if um, you have silks coming out sort of last in the neighborhood, uh, know that the females are attracted to those green silks to lay eggs. So I think those are sort of the highlights for corn. That's great. See, we can do more than just soybeans. We got range. Um, I've got a fun insect trivia. Bring it. You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know this about me, but um, I like to spend a lot of time before I go to sleep, surfing the web. Yeah. I like to look I think for... you refer to it as doom scrolling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Get in bed. Not get all snuggled up. You need to check out 30 minutes I, before you want to talk uh, about So hard. Um, but, you know, it's enjoyable. I found some people speculating about the... Um, what's the right way to say this? The 
proper classification of some organisms featured in Greek mythology. So there's some speculation on the internet that um, centaurs, you know what a centaur is? Are you familiar with this? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, they got recycled. It was featured in a speed stick commercial. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or, no, not speed stick, but Old Spice. Uh, Yeah, Old Spice. Yeah, and um, where the... The, uh, the announcer is in the form of a centaur. So a centaur is, uh, for our buddies in the world, who may not be as slick. Uh, by the way, for our listener, Aaron is doing some kind of weird yoga upper body stretch thing. That All of a sudden, my shoulder's kind of locked up. Sorry, I had to do something. All right, we're, gonna, we're probably going to edit that out. But anyway, a centaur... Um, Featured in the Old Spice commercial, featured in the uh, book series, Harry Potter is the centaurs in the forest. Okay. They play a big role against the Dolores it's Umbridge battle. How do you do that? Well, yeah, they made movies. Anyway, on the internets, they were speculating that a centaur, if you, if you really accurately identify it based on like Linnaean classification, centaur is not a mammal. Centaur okay. should be an insect because it's got three, three pairs, pairs of appendages. Of yeah, yeah. And that just kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, they're not. It What's that? They have the three body parts. Head, thorax, and abdomen. Abdomen, I guess, of a horse. Although the, the appendages are not all attached to the thorax. But yeah. then you have to remind yourself. What's that? Maybe it's more like an arachnid. Maybe, but, but before we go too deep, we want to remind ourselves that this is a myth, right? So Erin um, is now nodding because she's like, yeah, maybe we are going a little too far in the weeds. But it got me thinking about, well, there are all these weird um, Greek mythological creatures that are chimeras, mixtures of different animals. And usually there's some kind of mammal or bird or fish thing smashed together and i was like are there any in any insect based greek mythological creatures and now we come to the fit okay. so turns out there's a few i want to see if you you i given the look on your face you you're not all that I'm familiar not with strong these. in greek mythology but i think this one you might know even if you're not that strong in Greek mythology, the name that I'm looking for is one that um, maybe you'll be shocked to know, or maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised uh, mm-hmm. to um, to come to find that it's it's a word that we use um, some in just normal conversation. So you know how this game is played. I'm going to give you some four clues, and we're going to see from the most obscure clue down to the more uh, obvious one. You can get the word I'm looking for. You ready? All right. So the first clue. This is in Greek mythology, a mythical insect sent by the gods to sting wicked mortals for their cruel acts. No. All right. No. Feel free to text if you if you come up with an answer. All right. It's um, a name, kind of a common name given to insects in the family Tabanidae, which are horseflies, and the botflies, family Orestridae, 
No? All right. These, uh, these flies, all right, kind of already gave some of it away, uh, but these flies are known for plaguing cattle. Uh, no, no. She's giving a couple of guesses, people. All right, I'll give one more. It has another use, this name. It's often used to describe somebody who's a gossip or busybody who gets involved in things that don't always necessarily involve them. You got me mad. I don't know. All right, I'll give our listener a chance to collect their thoughts. So according to Wikipedia and a couple other sources, the mythical creature, mythical insect sent by the gods to sting wicked mortals for their cruel acts is a gadfly. Have you ever heard that expression before? Nope, I don't know. Gadfly. Never heard of it. Uh, I think it's kind of an old-fashioned word that was used to describe gossips and busybodies, people who would kind of get involved in things that others wouldn't like them to. He's a gadfly. Um, but it's also somewhat used as a common name for these insects that trouble horse uh, cattle, in part because the Greek mythology is built around uh, the goddess Hera disrupting her um, husband Zeus, who had love for a cow. And that's, that's a long story, but she sent uh, the gadflies to um, trouble the god that was in charge of protecting the cattle. Okay. Gadflies. Sorry, did not... Does not ring familiar at all. Maybe that's one of our more obscure ones. I'm gonna have to save that for the uh, Linnaean games. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, no longer than the Linnaean games. All right. So for people who uh, are listening who may not know what we're talking about, the Entomological Society of America sponsors a national competition. It's kind of like Quiz Bowl meets Jeopardy meets insect geeks, and they ask two teams uh, comprised of different universities questions about insects right all yeah. things insects oh so geeky it's awesome yeah oh no it's fantastic um but it's used to be called the name games now what's it have they decided a new name for it what's the new name entomology games oh <laughs> well that's that's accurate <laughs> it is accurate i thought maybe they'd spice it up a little bit more but yeah Anyway, maybe that'll be one that we I submit to the the entomology game organizers. The bonus, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's all I had for that. Any announcements, updates? Where can the people catch you, Aaron? Yeah, next week on Thursday, I'm doing a virtual webinar, and it's a regional uh, it's a regional webinar hosted by the University of Minnesota, but. Um, it includes a lot of folks from Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, and I think even North Dakota and Wisconsin. So it's a free webinar. They just ask you to RSVP so that they can send you the secure link to get to see the webinar. It's going to be short, uh, about 30, 35 minutes. And my topic next week is uh, reminders about soybean aphid. Oh, nice. And are there going to be uh, a focus on all things like pests that attack corn and soybeans or... Is it broader than that? Um, so if you rewind 30 seconds and <laughs> I say it's going to be reviewing soybean aphid. It's oh, it's just all soybean aphids. Yeah. 
just the whole, 30 minutes. Oh, okay. All right. I, just 30 minutes. I just thought, I thought you were talking about what you were going to be covering. I, oh, no, wow, I'm it. Oh, I'm okay. It. They, they right. do one, uh, I'm sorry, they do two webinars a week all throughout July. Okay. So my topic on Thursday is soybean aphid, but Ken Ostley is doing one on rootworms. Justin McMechan is doing one on soybean gallmage. There's oh, a lot cool. of different topics. Uh, uh-huh. A lot of them are kind of pest and pathogen focused in July and August. So I think, Matt, you were going to put a link and it kind of gives the schedule and the topics yep. in the recap. So that's a free thing at one o'clock on the 16th. Sweet. How about you? Um, yay, thanks for asking. I have uh, one coming up on July 23rd. And this is uh, sponsored by the Liberty Prairie Foundation. The title of this webinar is Prairie Strips Benefit Pollinators and Farmers. So I know I talk way too much about this on this um, podcast, but the Strips Project is something that I've been involved in for over a decade. And it recently uh, had um, added to the farm bill the practice known as Prairie Strips. And the Liberty Prairie Foundation out of Illinois, along with the um, McHenry County Conservation District, is sponsoring a series of webinars. They wanted to know about prairie strips. Uh, They're very interested in conserving insects and beneficial insects specifically. So they asked myself, Omar DeCoke-Makater, and Tim Youngquist of the Strips Project to talk about this. I'll put some information for how to register for this. I believe it's free, and it'll cover what we know about how adding little patches of prairie to farmland improve pollinators and then how to participate in the strip practice through the conservation reserve program. And that's where Omar and Tim step in. So put that down in the, the little box with this. Anything else? Um, if you're at all interested in the research that's going on at the Iowa state university farms around the state, there's going to be a virtual field day and it's going to be a series the first week of September. Uh, I will, maybe we can talk about the registration deal, uh, registration info in a few weeks. I don't know at, at this time, but they're going to be um, 30, 40 minute sessions once a day. Okay. For that first September. So. so that's our first reminder. We'll bring that up uh, yeah. again next week. All right. Yep. Well, pretty good. Should we wrap up? I think we're good. All right. Good talking with you. Yeah. And everybody, you all know where to find us. Uh, we're on the internets at, um, oh man, Stitcher, Google Play. Google Play, iTunes. iTunes. Um, everywhere. There, yeah, there's our website. Um, you can find us at Soybean Research at Iowa State University. Aaron's email is ewh at iastate.edu. Matt's email is ewh at iastate.edu. You can send all those questions to to that email and they'll get answered promptly. All right, we're good. (laughs) See you next week. All right, see you, Matt. Bye.